You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1936th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 7th of July 2023. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Pat Needham and your readers are Sue Harrington Spear and Adrian Grenville. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Safety plea to motorcyclists. Record number of new clergy members are ordained in Suffolk. McDonald's gets green light to build new drive-through. And fears for the elderly as high street services disappear. Safety plea to motorcyclists. A Suffolk police inspector has spoken of his concern at an alarming rise in the number of road deaths involving motorcyclists and cyclists. For this year up to July 3rd, there have been five deaths involving motorcyclists and one cyclist, six in total, whereas in the whole of 2022, there were five deaths, three motorcyclists and two cyclists. During the last week alone, motorcyclists have died in crashes on the B1078 at Campsie Ash, B1120 at Theberton and Orford Road, Broomswell. In total, There have been 17 road deaths already this year from 15 collisions, but in 1922 there were 22 deaths in total from 20 collisions. Inspector Gary Miller from the Norfolk and Suffolk Roads Armed Police Team urged bikers to ride within their capabilities and be aware of their surroundings, particularly the type of road they were travelling on, conditions on the road, lighting and traffic flow. For example, if they were on a narrow country lane with blind corners and a 60 mile an hour speed limit, it might not be safe to travel at that speed and they should reduce their speed accordingly. We are always concerned. We see the impact on individuals and families and these sorts of things, so absolutely we are concerned about it and we'll be putting measures in place around enforcement and education with our partners to get that message home. Inspector Miller said. Men and women are coming forward in record numbers to serve their communities as Church of England clergy across Suffolk. 23 people were ordained as priests and deacons at the weekend, compared with 10 in 2015. Clergy training before ordination usually takes up to three years, and on July the 1st, the Right Reverend Martin Seeley, Bishop of the St Edmundsbury and Ipswich Diocese, and the Right Reverend Dr Mike Harrison, Bishop of Dunwich, ordained the newest 13 priests and 10 deacons. Their backgrounds include previous careers in midwifery, neuroscience and working in a charity with disadvantaged families. The new clergy, who bring both youth and experience to their new roles, will serve in parishes including Ipswich, Albra, Beckles, Ruffham, Worlingham and Framlingham. The two bishops welcomed the new clergy at St Edmundsbury Cathedral in Bury St Edmunds in front of hundreds of well-wishers on Saturday. Bishop Martin said, The increased number of people wanting to become priests and deacons is a sign of the spiritual health of the church and of individual congregations. 
Bishop Mike, who ordained the deacons, said he was delighted to see callings to the ordained ministry increasing in Suffolk. McDonald's get green light to build new drive through Despite concerns being raised <coughs> over access, safety and traffic, final approval has been given for a drive through McDonald's restaurant to be built in Haverhill. Councillors on Braintree's District Council Planning Committee voted unanimously in favour of the reserved matters application, the finer details such as layout, design, landscaping and access, submitted by the fast food giant when it met on Tuesday evening. Concerns over the impact of increased traffic, the problems posed by the creation of an access road, the restaurant off Bumstead Road, which would be in between Phoenix Road roundabout and Hellion's Bumstead Road Junction, and the lack of substantial pavement for pedestrians had all been raised prior to the meeting. Both West Suffolk Council and Suffolk County Council had objected to the application, which had outlined Planning Commission dating back to 2016, with each believing a transport assessment plan should be provided to consider the impact of the development on the highway. Speaking at the meeting as residents of Haverhill and not as councillors were County Councillor David Roach and Town and District Councillor Aaron Lucarini. Mr Lucarini supported the application saying, if you ask Haverhill residents what shops they'd like to see in Haverhills, you'll often get a list that includes McDonald's. Situated just off Haverhills Bypass, opposite hotel, away from housing estates, and surrounded by local employment land, the restaurant will be a welcome addition to Haverhill, serving residents, workers, and those travelling past the town as they cross the Essex-Cambridgeshire-Suffolk border. Charities in Suffolk are increasingly concerned for the welfare of older generations in the county as more high street services that they, they depend upon are being stripped away. Pharmacy chain Boots is the latest business to announce the closure of town centre outlets, with 300 stores set to close in the year ahead, although the exact locations are yet to be announced. The departure of the retailer, used by the elderly for medications and other treatments, is another body blow for a section of society already reeling from the closure of post offices and banks they use for financial transactions. There have been a spate of banks shutting in recent years, with Barclays pulling out of Newmarket, Mildenhall and Framlingham, while HSBC has closed its Sudbury and Beckles branches. Villagers have also had to rally to save post office branches. In response, Simon Chitton, Chief Officer at Citizens Advice, Mid-Suffolk, called for banks to create shared hubs in Suffolk's towns to prevent people being financially excluded. But Anne Osborne, leader of the charity The Rural Coffee Caravan, said these hubs would be inaccessible to older people unless public transport was provided. Woman charged with arson after house fire. A plea hearing for a 62-year-old woman accused of arson with intent to danger life after a house fire in Berries and Edmonds has been adjourned until later this month. Fire crews were called to Cannon Street in Bury St Edmunds about 1.30pm on Sunday, June the 4th, to reports for fire on the first floor of a home. Deborah Lumley Holmes of Cannon Street, Bury St Edmunds, was subsequently charged with committing arson with intent to endanger life. 
On Tuesday, Lumsley Holmes appeared at Ipswich Crown Court for a plea and trial preparation hearing via a prison video link. Judge Nicola Talbot Hadley adjourned the hearing until July 26 to allow Lumley Holmes to have further discussions with her legal team before entering her plea to the arson charge. And now some general news about uh, a story uh, in the North Sea, and it's strictly it's, it's out of our area, but it's of great interest, I feel. An explorer whose quest to uncover Suffolk's lost city let him diving into the North Sea. He was aged 90 when he died. Marine archaeologist Stuart Bacon was the first person ever to find evidence of the medieval city of Dunwich. There's something about Dunwich that gives you this awesome feeling, Mr Bacon said during an interview in 2015. It's a deep feeling once you're down there in the dark. In its heyday of the 13th century, the place was capital of the Kingdom of the East Angles and would have been a bustling port city with a thriving shipbuilding industry. However, powerful storms hitting the East Coast during the 14th century ensured that much of Dunwich was lost to the sea. Mr Bacon had visited Dunwich as a child and was filled with determination to uncover the secrets of the lost city. When he qualified as a diver as a young man, he threw himself into learning everything he could about the lost city. A lot of so-called experts suggested that all of Dunwich had been washed away, but that's not the case. It's there if you can find it, Mr Bacon explained. In 1972, he discovered the ruins of Dunwich All Saints Church, its tower an eerie sight looming through the dark waters covered in crabs, lobsters and pink sponges. During a subsequent dive, Mr Bacon discovered the ruin of St Peter's Church. Mr Bacon's findings were the first of their kind and paved the way for a full survey of the seabed, which was carried out decades later and which provided a much fuller picture of what the city would have been like centuries before. He later published a study of his findings, Ancient Dunwich, Suffolk's Lost City, which was co-authored with his wife of many years, Jean Carter. A friend of Mr Bacon's described him as hugely knowledgeable, with an unbridled passion for Suffolk's shores and the secrets of the sea off its coast. Richard Cornwell, who served for many years as a volunteer with the Suffolk Underwater Studies Unit, of which Mr Bacon was director, said, Stuart was dedicated to exploring the Suffolk coast, both the shipwrecks and lost buildings under the waves and its ever-changing coastline. His work as a diver exploring and retrieving artefacts, often in treacherous and uncomfortable conditions in all weathers, sometimes working by touch with virtually nil disability, sorry, nil visibility because of the thick North Sea sediment, was amazing and his discoveries have been vitally important in helping us to understand the history of our coast and chart its changes over more than 1,000 years. His work at places such as Dunwich, Sole Bay and Walton Fort at Felixstowe is nationally important. A county lines drug dealer who was delivering cocaine to drug users in Bury St Edmunds using the postcode delivery method has been jailed for 30 months. Sentencing 31-year-old Christian Enchev, Judge Emma Peters told him, Every county line operation needs delivery drivers and you were an essential cog in the wheel. Enches was stopped by police after he was seen driving the wrong way in Cornhill in Bury St Edmunds shortly after midnight on Saturday, June the 3rd this year. Ipswich Crown Court heard cocaine weighing 18G was found in his car 
and messages found on his phone showed he was delivering cocaine to drug users in Berry St Edmunds for a county drug line using the postcode delivery method, said Peter Gare, prosecuting. Enchev, of Ipswich Road, Berry St Edmunds, admitted possessing cocaine with intent to supply on June the 3rd this year and possessing criminal property, namely £1,200 in cash. Joanne Ely for Enchev, who had no previous convictions, said her client came to the UK seven years ago was financially supporting members of his family who were still living in Bulgaria. Jockey Frankie Dottori is selling more than 100 once-in-a-lifetime mementos of his 35-year career as he prepares to bid farewell to Newmarket, the town he said had been his life. The 52-year-old former champion will end his riding career in Britain at Ascot in November, with his farewell tour likely to conclude in Australia with a final attempt to win the Melbourne Cup. And in preparation for his retirement, the father of five has been clearing out his luxurious home just outside Newmarket and put 126 items into an online auction with Cambridge firm Cheffins, which runs until July the 18th. Among the lots, a set of signed scales, a gift from champion American jockey Steve Cawthon, which Frankie claimed he's been jumping on and off for over 30 years, and the Oaks Trophy he won when riding Soul Sister to Victory last month, and, should he fail to win the St Ledger later this year, potentially his final classic trophy. A 29-year-old Suffolk man, who left a man with a fractured eye socket and a fractured jaw after punching him in the face, has been jailed for 13 months. Lawrence Betts delivered a single punch after an argument started while he was in the victim's house, Ipswich Crown Court heard. Sentencing Betts, Judge Emma Peter, described the punch as vicious and said it had caused significant injuries to the victim. It has had a significant impact on him. He has had an operation to have plates put in his face, said the judge. She said the fact the police had intelligence which suggested the victim had been dealing drugs did not make him more culpable for being attacked in such a vicious way. Betts of Lammers Close Bardwell in West Suffolk admitted causing grievous bodily harm and possessing cannabis. In addition to being jailed, he was banned from contacting the victim for five years. A man who had conversations about sex with four decoy schoolgirls and sent one of them an explicit picture of a man has been given a suspended tr- prison sentence. Unbeknown to Robert Sharman, the four girls he was chatting to were in fact members of an online child safety team pretending to be girls aged 13 and 14, Ipswich Crown Court heard. During a chat about sex with one of the decoy girls, the girl said she was too young to have sex, but Sharman told it was up to her when she wanted to have sex. He'd asked another decoy girl, who told him she was 14, if she liked boys or girls, and had asked another girl, he believed to be 13, to send him a sexy picture with her breasts out and a picture for her in her pyjamas. The 33-year-old of Meadow Court, Barry St Edmunds, admitted four offences of attempted sexual communication with a child between January the 20th and February the 15th last year. He was given a six-month prison sentence, suspended for two years a 50-day rehabilitation activity requirement and ordered to attend a programme to address his offending behaviour. He was also made the subject of a sexual harm prevention order for seven years and ordered to sign the sex offenders register for the same period. 
Lynn Shirley for Sharman said her client had no previous convictions for sexual offences, was on benefits and had pleaded guilty to the offences at an early stage. Council explains why parts of West Suffolk look untidy. A council has addressed why parts of West Suffolk are looking untidy after its reduced use of weed killer. West Suffolk Council has left grassy areas around trees, signs and lampposts which would have been previously sprayed with glyphosate to encourage plant and insect life. The authorities said although these areas looked a little less tidy than before, with a halo of growth, they would be strimmed later in the growing season. This was to support biodiversity such as pollinators. Larger areas were also deliberately left uncut or pathways have been created through areas to support the environment. However, the council does regularly cut other areas such as playing areas and where residents have asked and where safety is an issue, such as some verges. Councillor Ian Ship, Cabinet Member for Leisure, said, We know that grass cutting is important to our residents and views differ from who we are and what we are not doing enough to what we are doing too much. Finding a balance can be a challenge, but through a range of measures and management techniques, we are working to ensure we find the right balance between safety, tidiness and allowing wildflowers to flourish. Even small areas around posts and poles that are being left and not treated with weed killer may look untidy but provide essential habitats. Other authorities are responsible for other areas of grass cutting and management on their land. And now two stories of bravery when faced with cancer. A mum of two from Bury St Edmunds thanked her community after she raised thousands of pounds for cancer research and local charity Breast Friends. Beth Gutierrez, 41, who lives on the Morton Hall estate, raised more than £2,000 in sponsorship by running Race for Life on June the 11th, whilst taking chemotherapy medication, medication as part of her breast cancer treatment. A charity race night she organised at her local community centre last weekend she raised funds for breast friends. Having trained using couch to 5K, Beth, who was diagnosed last year, said Race for Life gave her something to focus on. Beth's amazing and supportive husband, Julian, 36, proudly ran alongside her the whole time. Cheering her on were her children, Ollie, 2, and Elsie, 5, and also some of her biggest supporters, her parents, Cynthia and Tom. Having her parents at the Race for Life reminded Beth of when she was first diagnosed with cancer whilst living in America, and her mum gave her the wise words, don't let cancer get the better of you. This is a phrase that still motivates Beth. She said, I don't let cancer get the better of me. I take it one day at a time and try not to think too far ahead in the future. Fears have been raised by a Thurston resident about village plans However, the Parish Council has warned of significant consequences if they are refused. Outline proposals to build eight homes and move private allotments on land west of Barrels Road and plans to build five homes on land at Norton Road are being supported by Thurston Parish Council. Applicants, Messrs Myatt, have agreed a package of community benefits in return for the Council's backing. However, Fraser Dibley, who lives close to existing Barrels Road private allotments, has wildlife and safety concerns and is unhappy about the process. People have had allotments here for generations. The owner wants to sell up and move off, 
They've got no interest in the village. The parish council is looking at what it thinks it can gain, and they keep saying the village will gain if the plans win approval, but if they don't go through, the current allotments will be ploughed up. Scores of objections to the Barrel Road and Norton Road plans have been lodged with Mid-Suffolk District Council. Objecting to the Barrels Road scheme, Fiona Cairns of Suffolk Preservation Society said, The application does not appear to have the support of the community which is struggling with the rapid and significant pace of development and associated loss of countryside, which has previously made an important contribution to the character of the village. However, another allotment holder, who wishes to remain anonymous, said many villagers supported the two schemes and the potential community gains. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the village to gain a massive amount, they said. The main people who disagree are the householders in the lane. The rest of it very much want the community allotments. And now for some letters. So the first one is from Bob Hogger from Halesworth, and he writes... Mr Dayton, letters of June the 28th, raises the potential for catastrophic pollution and environmental damage with nuclear reactor radioactive waste and Sizewell Sea. He points out it will remain hazardous for as long as a thousand years. What he doesn't point out is that parts of the Suffolk coast, in addition to facing rising sea levels, are also subsiding. He also doesn't point out that millions of gallons of fresh water taken from scarce local resources or from the sea by desalination, converting seawater to fresh water, is then boiled by the then reactors to create steam to drive turbines. Much of this water will, I believe, be drawn from a region that is already threatened by desperate shortages of water. We are now using, on a regular basis, more water than is naturally available. As a consequence of this, desalination plants are having to be introduced to assist with this lack of clean water, and this then introduces yet another environmental problem. Cleaning seawater by desalination necessitates having to pour many toxic chemicals and brine back into the sea, and as a consequence is killing marine biota. In my view, it has to stop if we are to survive. How did we get here? Writes Mike Heath from Great Cornard. A common theme is prevalent with our water companies over-indebted, underinvestment, pollution, excessive executive remuneration, poor customer service, higher and higher service charges and water and sewerage bills. It's reminiscence of a song by Brenda Russell. How did we get here? Well, the origins of this was privatisation. I have no personal issues with privatisation. A vast majority have been successful and have benefited society. However, key sectors are of national interest, water being one of them. There should have been greater checks and balances. The most notable one should have been the government of the day had a golden share after privatisation in perpetuity. Unfortunately, we had the Water Services Regulation Authority, a government quango, who seemed to always to side with the water companies, most probably because the water companies employ people of a higher intellect who have the ability to run rings round off what. Another issue among many is the opaque shareholders using so-called asset management companies, whose aims seem to be extract as much cash out of the business as quickly as possible and load the company with vast debits. 
Once this has happened, sell it on to another complicit group who think they can do the same. Penny Poole writes via email about roadside litter putting us to shame. While on a recent visit to Mid Wales with my husband, one of the big things we noticed was the roadside verges and laybys were neat and tidy and no litter. Welsh people in that area take a real pride in their surroundings and countryside. This puts Bury St Edmunds and the A14 Suffolk to shame. What must visitors to the county think of us? Takeaways, cans, bottles, old tyres, paper and general rubbish, just discarded or fly-tipped. Terrible. Perhaps people who've been in trouble and given so many hours unpaid work could go round and be made to clear some of the rubbish. Correcting mistakes, writes Martin Dayton of Woodbridge. I agree with Peter Smith, Peter Booth Smith, of his letters of July the 4th. When things go wrong or we make mistakes, we must concentrate on putting things right and correcting those mistakes. I agree that by a very small majority within two nations of our United Kingdom, we voted to leave the political union of the EU. No more MEPs, no more UK commissioners, never again a UK president of the EU, no more representation. However, I do not believe we voted to leave the single market and customs union, the largest and most successful trading bloc in the world, and thus impose enormous costs and bureaucrat constraints upon UK industries, businesses and producer. I agree, Peter. Let us put mistakes right. Yes, stay outside the political union, if that is our wish, but let's put right the mistake of leaving the successful trading block that's just 22 miles from our shores. Mr Sunak's Windsor Agreement for Northern Ireland demonstrates that this mistake can easily be rectified. At the same time, Perhaps we could put other mistakes right by rejoining the EU-Dublin agreement that would allow us to help to establish safe and secure processing centres in France and other EU nations for all refugees and asylum seekers, including those seeking refuge in the UK. History has shown the unity and cooperation between nations and neighbours can put mistakes right and overcome Complex global problems. Now, Graham Day from Stowmarket writes, Award is very well deserved. The achievement of musician Paul Harvey, who is suffering from dementia and memorably composed the tune Four Notes during the Covid lockdown, has now been recognised by King Charles. A simply constructed tune, it raised spirits and gave hope at an uncertain time in our history. The tune has now raised more than £1.5 million for dementia charities. And the award of an OBE by the King to Dementia Sufferer Paul is richly deserved indeed. Uniform protest, writes Liz Rushbrook from Leyston. What a load of nonsense! A clever and inventive young man with a sense of humour decided to get round a stupid school rule by wearing a skirt, shorts not being allowed, Toby puts on a skirt in protest, EADT, June 28th. This bizarre attitude towards uniform begs several questions, the main one being why. Why in a day when the temperature is reaching such high levels is the school valuing rules over the health of its pupils? Why no shorts? What's wrong with shorts? Then another question. 
What is the function of a school? Are they trying to turn out creative, original thinkers willing to question authority? We certainly need them with our current government. I wonder what would be the action of a school if a Scottish pupil were to wear his kilt to a special occasion. Actually, the whole business of school uniforms needs rethinking, especially in view of the costs, approximately £400 per child, according to a recent report. It's time for schools to rethink their rules and replace common nonsense with common sense. And Debbie Talbot, the Chief Strategy Officer, National Deaf Children Society, writes that plan for supporting deaf children. Did your readers know that deaf children are almost twice as likely as all children to start school without having achieved expected levels of development because they're not getting the right support in their early years? <coughs> Excuse me. It's an especially critical time for deaf children because of the impact their deafness can have on language development, communication and social skills. Without good communication, skills learned early on, a deaf child could face lifelong challenges. For instance, when they start school, they may come up against many barriers like struggling to understand instructions in the classroom and conversations with their peers, all leading to feelings of isolation and a sense of missing out. To make matters worse, teachers of the deaf who provide specialist support and make such a difference to a deaf child's life are in decline and have seen their numbers fall to their lowest number on record. It's a scandal. Here at the National Deaf Children's Society, we are determined to do something about it. That's why we've just launched our, five, our new five-year plan, Every Moment Counts, which calls for more support, more quickly, for deaf children during those vital early years. We won't rest until every deaf child receives the right support as early as possible. Andy Blackburn writes... Put quality of service ahead of dividends. I don't know if there's a legal framework for listed companies to be told they can't issue dividends or give bonuses, but if there was, that is exactly what should happen. I also feel that the water company's customers, i.e. us, should be suing them because they've been reaching the Trade Descriptions Act as they've been telling their customers that they would supply clean water and remove foul water and treat it. They haven't. They've been pumping the foul waste into waterways. It's ironic because dead rivers, stinking of sewage, was the reason they were set up in the first place. I can understand, but as an old lefty, I cannot agree with the principle of privatisation allowing for market investment, as opposed to sewage companies competing with other more glamorous government departments for restricted funding. The reality, unfortunately, Due to the greed of the market, the shareholders, the senior management's pockets and the whiz-bang accountants was the water companies just become a free money ATM with the poor customers shelling out more and more for less and less. Water bills should not, at the very least, be increased and should preferably be significantly reduced as compensation for the mis-selling of their service. The boards of water companies should be replaced with anointed teams independent of the company itself, rather in the manner of receivers, to manage the companies for service quality and not shareholder value. And now my last letter, saying it with flowers. Harvey Clegg from Woodbridge writes, 
Most years I like the colours in my garden to make a relevant statement. Last year's blue and yellow were in support of Ukraine, unfortunately still suffering. Patriotic red, white and blue are now featuring to celebrate our new king and queen this season. I do in fact share a birthday with Charles, November the 14th. Apparently his majesty likes to potter now and then. Now a feature. Film maker to visit Ruffham. A journalist from New Zealand is planning a trip to Ruffham near Berries and Edmonds to make a film about reports of a mysterious disappearing house. Jim Birchall, who creates podcasts about unexplained phenomena, has appealed for people living in and around the village that may have seen the Ruffham Mirage to get in touch with him. Over the last 150 years, people living in Ruffham and some passing through the area reported seeing a grand Georgian-style house. The house has then allegedly either disappeared from in front of them or simply been missing when they returned to the same road later that day. Alongside his podcasting work, Mr Birchall works with a YouTube channel called Unexplained Cases, which has almost 4,000 subscribers. Speaking ahead of his visit to Ruffham, he said, I've done some research that suggests the house apparition has appeared to a number of people, both local and visitors, over the last century and a half. I believe the last reported sighting was in 2007. He continued, I'm doing a 15-minute website for unexplained cases on the time slip phenomenon, and the house is a very good candidate. I shall also be visiting Kersey, the site of another time slip incident in 1957. A time slip incident is explained as a phenomenon when a moment from the past spontaneously intrudes on the present. The journalist hopes to find correlations between the disappearing house and ghost village phenomenon, investigating a theory that ley lines, which may be linked to time distortion, run through the region ending in Berries and Edmonds. He's spoken to Simon Nunn, a documentary filmmaker who has his own take on the time slip phenomenon and did some local research for his own film a few years ago. And this paper's columnist, Nicholas Miller, who also researched the Ruffham Mirage. I've had some nice comments on the Ruffham Community Facebook page, continued Mr Birchall. It appears many locals are unfamiliar with the phenomenon, but a few people have pointed me in the right direction. I understand the Berry St Edmunds Library may also have a file full of clippings about the house. I'm particularly interested in speaking with people who have witnessed the spectral house or have family or friends that have. To keep a balance, I'm also keen to hear from any sceptics. I'd also like to hear their theories on what people are seeing. And my feature this week is Looking Back with Martin Taylor, a statue not appreciated by everyone. Standing proudly on what was once covered in gravestones as part of Very St Edmund's Great Churchyard is a magnificent bronze statue of England's first patron saint, St Edmund. This sculpture was commissioned in 1974 by the then West Suffolk Council to mark the end of his administration. In effect, Bury St Edmunds would no longer be the county town of West Suffolk as it amalgamated with East Suffolk, becoming Suffolk. 
The St Edmund statue was unveiled on July the 16th, 1976, by the Earl of Stradbrook, Lord Lieutenant of Suffolk, the cost of the casting a bargain at £2,000. The generous sculptor of this amazing work of art was someone with local roots, Dame Elizabeth Frink, born in 1930 at Great Thurlow, just 16 miles from Bury. After attending the Guildhall School of Art and, and Chelsea School of Art, her avant-garde bronze works of art, designed for external viewing, came to the notice of several public institutions. To acknowledge her contribution to her craft, she was elected an associate of the Royal Academy in 1971 and made a dame in 1982. One of her most famous sculptures and her last, the titanic statue of Risen Christ for Liverpool Cathedral, was installed on April the 18th, 1993, a week before she sadly died from cancer, aged 62. As for St Edmund, it has been cruelly described as an archbishop in his underpants, by a local cleric as a figure of sexless quality, with a suggestion of prudery, in the Berry Free Press Letters page. Suffice to say, its proposed sighting, somewhere in the town centre, did not proceed, but fittingly now stands on a sward at the Abbey's west front with the soubriquet St Edmund's Green. A crucifixion by Frink was purchased in 1995 by the Cathedral Friends and is in the Cathedral's Chapel of Transfiguration. Children's Book Wins Award for Chloe, 16. A teenager from Haverhill entered a sustainability competition and won first prize for writing a children's book. She also went on to pick up an environment and sustainability accolade at an annual college group celebration of achievement event. The competition was co-organised by West Suffolk College following a talk by West Suffolk Council's recycling officer to business learners at the college about green issues in Bury St Edmunds earlier this year. After the talk, the students were tasked with creating some engaging promotional materials that would highlight the importance of living more sustainably. Learners came up with flyers, posters and an app design, but the overall winner was Chloe Taylor, 16, who wrote a children's book called Rory the Recycling Lion. The two business learners was presented with an iPad for winning after being judged as the best entry by the council's recycling officer. Chloe said, My book aims to teach little children how to recycle and they can pass this knowledge on to their families. The overall message is that we must recycle to save our planet. Art by a former Samuel Ward Academy student is being exhibited alongside a piece by renowned street artist Banksy. Sorrel Mason's artwork is now part of the Urban Frame, Mutiny in Colour exhibition at Moises Hall Museum in Bury St Edmunds. Printed on cardboard, it sits next to the Banksy bollard in the exhibition, which continues until October the 1st. The exhibition is also running at Haverhill Arts Centre from July the 15th until October the 1st, where different pieces of work will be on show. It is also being held at the National Horse Racing Museum in Newmarket. Sorrel, 18 of Great Ratting, has just sat her A-levels at Haverhill Community Sixth Form and has a place at Chelsea College of Art starting in September. She said, I'm so excited that my street art stencil, Rich Rishi, has been exhibited alongside an original Banksy piece. Proposed solar farm 
could power about 9,000 homes. A planning application has been submitted to install more than 1,900 solar panels at the Caro Food Group's factory near Haverhill. The application for full planning permission for the solar farm on an area of disused land at the Great Ratting site has been made to West Suffolk Council by Eden Sustainable Limited. Should it go ahead, the ground-mounted solar panel arrays, made up of 1,916 panels, standing no more than 3 metres above the ground, would cover a surface area of 4,635 square metres. A planning statement submitted as part of the application said, this project would therefore generate sufficient electricity to power the equivalent of 9,000 homes. This scheme would reduce carbon emissions by 221,225 kilograms per annum. The proposed development provides the opportunity for both connection to the distribution grid and direct connection to the Caro Food Group building. Ultimately, the proposed development will make a valuable contribution to Haverhill's secure, low-carbon and affordable electricity system. A dispersal order has been put in place to tackle antisocial behaviour in a Suffolk village. The order will be in place in Bures near Sudbury for 48 hours from 6pm on Friday until 6pm on Sunday. A spokesman for the Suffolk Police said the dispersal order has been put in place to tackle ongoing issues of antisocial behaviour in part of Bures relating to the open spaces around the river. The order gives uniformed officers the authority to disperse individuals or groups where their presence or behaviour has resulted or is likely to result in a member of the public being harassed, intimidated, alarmed or distressed. The individuals can be excluded from a specified area for up to 48 hours and if they refuse to follow the officer's directions to disperse, they will be committing an offence punishable by up to six months imprisonment and or a fine of up to five pounds. Father vows to remove child from school over sex ed. A parent has raised his concern over compulsory education on puberty at a Suffolk school which he deems to be inappropriate for his eight-year-old daughter. Michael Doherty, 51, who lives near Stowmarket, has applied to take his daughter out of Thurston Primary School after discovering that the year four pupils will be learning about the menstrual cycle, the different parts of female and male genitalia, and changes in the body in their PSHE lessons. The school says its PSHE curriculum was in line with statutory guidance from the Department for Education's Policy on Relationships, Sex and Health Education, which came compulsory in September 2020. Other parents at the school have said they have no concerns about the education and are satisfied with the content being covered in lessons. Despite this, Mr Doherty believes his daughter is too young for some of the content and questions some of its relevance, particularly an animation video on the BBC Bite Size website which shows the sexual functions of a teenage boy. Now, Postcard Club Anniversary Celebrations. Members of the Bury St Edmunds Postcard Club have celebrated its 25th anniversary. 
formed on June the 23rd, 1998, by a group of collectors, mainly from Bury St Edmunds Philatelic Society, the club celebrated on Friday, June the 23rd, with a buffet, cake and exhibition of items from their archives and more. Featured in their exhibition were photographs, documents and newspaper cuttings from the club's inaugural meeting, through to the present day, as well as the Remembrance Corner, which honoured members from the past. Members were presented with a booklet, which gave a brief history of the club, a bookmark and commemorative postcard, plus a celebration cake. The event also included a caption competition. A club spokesman said, We are now the only postcard club in East Anglia and are very grateful for the support of members not only from the local area but also those who travel regularly from much further afield. We have a friendly and supportive group where new members are always given a warm welcome. We look forward with enthusiasm to the next chapter in our club's history. The club's next meetings are on July the 18th and August the 15th. Doors open at 7pm for a 7.15 start at the Crypt, St Edmund's Church, 21 Westgate Street, Bury. So for more information, call Sue Rawls on 01284 769 480 or email Postcard Club at gmail.com. Stab Victim Recovering Brilliantly The victim of a stabbing attack on the Howard Estate in Bury St Edmunds is recovering brilliantly. PCSO Mark Ellis told Bury St Edmunds Town Council on Wednesday night the woman in her 50s who was stabbed by a man while out walking her dog in St Olav's Road on June the 14th is well out of hospital and recovering brilliantly. She suffered one stab wound to the lower back. A 58-year-old man was arrested 80 minutes after the incident. Following the stabbing, the community rallied together to collect items from the woman. Catherine Hayward, a friend of the victim, said, I suggested doing a hamper. There have been so many people wanting to donate. It's been amazing. It's good to see and hear local people pulling together and showing support. Stephen Byrne of Hodson's Close, Bury St Edmunds, has been charged with assault causing grievous bodily harm and possessing a bladed arm article in a public place. He appeared before Suffolk Magistrates Court in Ipswich on July the 16th and was remanded in custody to next appear at Ipswich Crown Court on July the 14th. A huge display of Suffolk-grown flowers has met with an emotional response from shoppers and members of the public in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre. The historic Pillar of Salt, the signpost in Angel Hill, was bedecked with more than 1,500 flowers grown by county members of Flowers from the Farm, an organisation which backs British growers. The event was supported by Berry and Bloom and the Town Council and brought together nine flower farmers from throughout Suffolk. More than 2,000 people attended this year's Dragon Fest over the weekend as the site celebrated a milestone anniversary. As dragons roamed the West Stowe Anglo-Saxon and Country Park Village near Bury St Edmunds, the event welcomed a group of Cambridge undergraduates who began construction of the site five decades ago on June the 25th, 1973. On the second day of the festival, Ian Allister and others from the original team, including Hugh Darra, Kimberly Rue, Rosemary Broughton, 
Andy Wilson, Liz Pikesma and Martin Jones during the event. Ian said, We were a small but determined group of Cambridge undergraduates interested in experimental archaeology. We wanted to build an Anglo-Saxon Grubenhaus to see how it worked in practice rather than in theory. When the team first began reconstructions of the pit houses, they tried using tools and materials that would have been available to the Anglo-Saxons. Today, the original oldest house still stands alongside seven other reconstructed buildings, including a farmer's house, craft building, hall, workshop and weaving house. Ian said, Some experts thought our design would blow down in the first easterly gale, but it's still standing 50 years on. It's great to see the way in which it has evolved into a flourishing project that is visited by pretty much every school child within a 30-mile radius. And the town hosts Suffolk musicians. <clears throat> musicians showcased their talents in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre last week as part of a joint celebration. Around a dozen musicians from a mix of genres performed throughout the day at three locations, including Market Place, Charter Square and the Butter Market. Our Bury St Edmunds organised a showcase as part of the International Make Music Day, which takes place annually in 125 countries around the world. The event on June the 21st also coincided with the annual Suffolk Day celebrations. Musicians arrived from across the county, playing a mix of styles from classical to jazz and pop. The event also coincided with Suffolk County Music Service's annual Whole Class Ensemble Teaching Festival at the Apex. The remains of a 2,000-year-old Roman horde has been discovered in Suffolk. The rare discovery, which includes Roman pewter plates, platters, bowls and a cup, was made in Euston. They were buried in a pit and were carefully stacked, suggesting that they were placed as a single group, possibly for safekeeping or an offering. The hoard was discovered in autumn 2022 by local metal detector user Martin White, while taking part in an East of England rally and organised detecting event. They have now gone on display at the West Stowe Anglo-Saxon Village and Museum near Bury St Edmunds until January 2024. Speaking about his discovery, Mr White said, I've been detecting for about 10 years and this is the most high-profile find I've made so far. It was very exciting. We quickly consulted with the archaeological service so the items could be removed and recorded without being damaged. It was a privilege to be involved in the whole process from discovery to excavation to seeing the finds go on display. A girl who was fighting for her life last summer is now going from strength to strength after an operable brain tumour disappeared with treatment. Eva Carey, 10, from Norton near Bury St Edmunds, left school for last year's summer holidays just like other children. But on August the 2nd, she was diagnosed with a fast-growing form of brain cancer. Her mother, Shelley, 45, who works as a police civilian, said it kind of came out of nowhere. Evie, a pupil at Norton CEVC Primary School, had been fit and healthy, but began to get headaches, and in about the last week coming up to her being diagnosed, she had more headaches and was sick. But Shelley said the doctor wrote it off as hormonal headaches and the family took her to A&E, 
but were told it was migraines and she wasn't scanned. We persisted as she wasn't right at all and kept phoning and eventually got a doctor who said he wanted her scanned and as soon as they did the scan at West Suffolk we were blue-lighted to Addenbrooke's, she said. There they were told the tumour was inoperable. Evie had been diagnosed with medulloblastoma, which is the most common malignant high-grade children's brain tumour. She began chemotherapy, but within days she started to go really downhill and was taken to the high dependency unit. We were told she was very unlikely to see the week out, Shelley said. If the swelling of the brain had carried on, it would have killed her, but fortunately the chemotherapy started to work and shrink the tumour. She's just Evie now, Shelley said. She's doing cartwheels. She's just amazing. On the 16th of December, just before Christmas, she had a scan and all the cancer has gone. Here's a bit of history behind our spoons at pubs. From grocery stores to department stores, do you know the history of your Weatherspoon pub? <laughs> In Ipswich, the Cricketers. This was a purpose-built pub in the 1930s. It was originally a Tollymarsh pub, the style copied from Helmingham Hall, the home of the Tollymarshes since 1510. In 1957, Tollymash merged with another brewery to form the company now known as Tolly Cobbled. In Ed Sudbury, there is the Grover and Allen. This pub takes its name from Grover and Allen, the grocery store which traded in the premises from the mid-1870s to the early 1900s. In Bury St Edmunds we have the Corn Exchange. This Grade 1 listed monument was designed by Ellison Woodward and built by Lot Jackerman before opening in July 1862. The hall in the floor of the hall was inserted in 18, 1969 and there are now shops on the ground floor and it has also hosted in the past beer festivals. Stowmarket, the willow tree. The growing of willow twigs in Stowmarket led to the development of basket making. This thrived until the early 20th century. Founded in 1912 by Octavius Seaman, the premises were acquired from monumental mason and marble mason who was first recorded on this site in 1839. Haverhill, the Drabbit Smock. This popular pub used to be a factory for making Drabbit Smocks for agricultural workers. Girton and Sons built the factory in 1856 and it had 32 steam-driven power looms. Lowestoft, the Joseph Conrad, close by the railway station. In 1832, Henry Tuttle opened a grocery and provision shop at the premises. The Station Square pub is named after Polish mariner and writer Joseph Conrad, who disembarked in Lowestoft in 1878 and signed on as a crew member of a small coaster that sailed out of the port. How good are your memories? <laughs> and now finally, my article is about an abuser who's been convicted. A 51-year-old Suffolk man who denied sexually assaulting two teenage girls is facing a jail sentence after being convicted by a jury. Before Ipswich Crown Court yesterday was Sean Langland of Eastgate Street in Bury St Edmunds. 
He had denied five offences of sexual assault and two offences of assault by penetration in relation to one alleged victim and three offences of sexual assault and one of assault causing actual bodily harm in relation to the second alleged victim. He was found guilty by 10 to 2 majority verdicts of these three offences of sexual assault and two offences of assault by penetration in respect of one victim and guilty by 10 to 2 majority verdicts of two offences of sexual assault and one offence of assault causing actual bodily harm in respect of the second victim. The jury could not reach verdicts on the remaining three charges and prosecuting counsel Emma Nash said she did not require the jury to return verdicts on those charges in light of the guilty verdicts on the other charges. Judge Emma Peters adjourned the case until September the 6th to allow the probation services to prepare a report on Langland on the issue of dangerousness. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Pat, Sue, Adrian and Mary, it's goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio. Oh,